You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. We are now in part three of our series, The Meaning of Life, a study in Ecclesiastes. And I hope if you've been here, you've been enjoying it. I have, uh, I personally have been stretched and sharpened by Solomon's edgy, we'll call it that, wisdom. A little different. But if you've missed any of the messages, you can find them on our website. And you can actually find all of our sermon content at newlifecanton.com. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that up on the screen for you in case you didn't know. And you can click on watch or listen on the tab and catch all of our content and catch up with the series. Last week, our subtitle was Seasons. You remember that? And we unpacked one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. Songs have been written from this uh, passage, you know, and, and it goes like this. To everything there is a season. That's right. Turn, turn, turn. Yeah, all that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to re-preach the message, but the big idea was basically that contentment, something we always search for, contentment is found in God's time in God's time and only from his hand. God's timing and from his hand, the meaning of life. That's what we're talking about. The purpose in life, they come from God alone. If we're searching in other areas for meaning, they may last for a little while, but they're gonna gonna break up and be gone and disappoint us every single time. That's why we sang the song, we fall down, we lay our crowns. What does that mean? We lay our achievements. We lay our giftings and our talents and the things that people would praise us for. We lay them at the feet of Jesus because really it's all about him and how we can glorify him in our lives. Our purpose comes from God alone and those purposes are developed, listen, in his timing and through all different kinds of seasons that we go through in life. The key is staying in step with his spirit. Staying in step, not jumping ahead. I know I'm the only one who's ever done that. Or digging our heels in when he's prompting us to move. True, listen to me, this is, True spiritual maturity is not how good I preach. It's not how you do this or that. True spiritual maturity is measured by how much I can hear the voice of God and be obedient, stay in step with his spirit. And that only comes through full surrender. It only comes through me being willing to yield my spirit to his spirit. And that is not a one-time prayer. (laughs) That is not a come up to the front and pray at one time and then leave it alone. No, that is a daily commitment. It's a daily bowing of the knee. It's a daily surrender of my mind, my will, and my emotions to him. I was going to conclude the series today, but after 
prayer and some additional study in this thing, I think there's one more thing that we need to look at before I preach the concluding message. And this theme is obviously important to Solomon because it's all through Ecclesiastes. And it's actually in Proverbs as well, if you study Proverbs, but the theme is balance. Everybody say balance. Father, thank you so much for your presence here already today that we have sensed. Mm. Lord, you are worthy. (laughs) You are holy. And it is our privilege and our honor to sing that and worship in your presence today. Lord, I thank you that your very presence is in this house. Your manifest presence, your glory is here because you inhabit the praise of your people. Lord, we do not take that for granted today. We thank you for your presence. And right now, I pray your spirit would cause your word to become alive, not just black words on white paper, but alive in our heart and that we would receive your word with joy and gladness in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Balance, balance, it's kind of important, isn't it? We take it for granted. We take balance, I'm talking about physical balance. We take it for granted until it's gone. Until something happens and we have an inner ear problem or vertigo. Anybody ever experienced that? I've experienced it once in my life. I never want to experience it again. Thankfully, I was home. Because it can be dangerous if you experience that at the wrong time. But I remember the, the, the room just began to spin. I got sick to my stomach. It was not fun at all. And actually losing our balance can be quite dangerous. When I... Uh, when I uh, graduated from, from college, I was, for a short period of time, because I wasn't very good at it, I was on a house framing crew. And as you know, anybody knows, you start at the foundation and you begin to work up and higher and higher and higher, and eventually you're hanging from a rafter somewhere trying to do this. And I've never been afraid of heights, but my balance has been just very average. Anybody else, you know? Very, it's amazing to me to watch the Olympics and these gymnastics, gymnasts, you know, that just can do anything. Well, these, these jokers that I framed houses with were crazy. I mean, they would get up there, and I'm not talking about walking across the joist. I can do that, you know, like this or whatever. I'm talking about the top, the one, you know, stick, of your stick building, there's one beam that goes across. They're like, and I'm like, y'all are nuts. You're crazy, but they, they were amazing. Nobody ever fell. It was just incredible. About uh, four years ago, I took our first group to Israel. And on the first day of touring, we were in old city Jerusalem, y'all. Old city, in the walls, unbelievable. We're in there, we're seeing all the stuff. We're about a mile in, there's no cars. You have to walk in there. And we're on top of this, I don't know, roof type situation overlooking some things, and I hit a slick spot and lost my balance, and I fell, and it was extremely ungraceful and awkward, and I fell on my right ankle, and I heard it pop. It swelled up immediately, immediately. One of the members had to go, one of the group members went and and found a little shop down in, in that area and bought me a cane bought me a cane and I hobbled around. See, when you don't, you, you don't, you take it for granted. Come on, these things that we do all the time and then they're taken from us and, and there I'm hobbling the rest of the week through Israel because I lost my balance. Now, I, I'm telling these stories to get us thinking about the importance of balance. And of course, you probably know we're not talking about physical balance today. 
We're talking about balance in our life, balance in our behavior, balance in our routines, in our patterns in life. Solomon talked a lot about these things in Ecclesiastes. So today I'm just going to highlight, I'm going to lift some of those verses out. We're going to look at those and hopefully you'll get some takeaways that will help you balance your life in these areas. I want to consider three, if you're taking notes, three main categories that Solomon gives us about balance. Number one, balance between work and rest. Do I have the right group? Balance between work and rest. So we all have to work. Somebody say amen or oh me, right? We all have, it's part of the curse in the very beginning in Genesis chapter three. We all have to work to make a living and to make it by. Or if you're a student, your work is your studies. That's what my parents used to always tell me. Your work is your studies right now. You know, that's what they would say over and over. That's your job. Well, we all have to have a job. Even if we're students, we all have to work. But if we get out of balance with our work, and that's all we think about, and that's all we do, and we become a workaholic and, and it's, it's way out of kilter, what happens is we become very stressed out. We become anxious. We don't sleep at night. We can't, we go close our eyes and our mind is going, woo! And, and it's like, and then, you know, have you seen the little meme where, you know, you're in 3 a.m., you're like, 4 a.m., you're like this, and then like five minutes before the alarm goes off, you're like, you're dead to the world and then you have to get up. That's what being out of kilter will do. It's unhealthy, being out of balance with our work life. But on the other hand, if all we live for is R&R, rest and relaxation, if that's all we're focused on, we may find ourselves picking up some bad habits in our work ethic or lack thereof that could lead to a very dangerous word, a very offensive word, Laziness. And the Bible says a lot about that. So let's see what Solomon says about balancing our work and rest. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Solomon says, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I almost named one of, our, one of our subtitles, Chasing the Wind, because he uses it. If you've read Ecclesiastes, he uses that phrase, Chasing the Wind. It's kind of funny because it's impossible, right? You, you can't chase, I mean, you could chase it, but it's stupid because you can't get it. We see the effects of the wind. We can look in the trees and see it. We can feel it on our skin, but you can't grab the wind. It's kind of like clouds, I've been flying a lot lately and it never it ceases to amaze me. You know, we're above the clouds looking down and there's these beautiful, big, white, fluffy clouds that look like I could just jump out there and just, just like, like a trampoline. You can't. And if you tried, it would be the last thing you ever did because you would just go right through. There's no substance to a cloud. There's no substance to the wind. Solomon's point is critical. He's saying that most people are motivated to succeed, not to be helpful in what they're doing, but to compete and to be first. 
If Solomon struggled with this comparison and competition issue in his life 3,000 years ago, can you imagine what he'd say about our society today with social media? Come on. We get on there, we scroll, and we see the highlight reel of everybody that we know, and we're like, my Lord, I am behind. I am behind in this rat race. They've got a better car. They've got a bigger house. Their kids look like they're actually you know, smart and do things and are, and, 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 and are behaved. I'm in trouble. And it causes anxiety. I, we're being, I'm laughing, but we have to laugh so we don't cry because it's true. I have a very close friend of mine who's a pastor this week really was just vulnerable. And he, he talked about how he struggled with this comparison thing. And he said, I'm done. Come on, I'm done. I'm getting off of social media. And maybe he's got the best answer to it all. Come on, somebody. I think maybe he's onto something. Because I'm right there with him sometimes. It's just a lie. And we swallow it every day. One of the wisest men to have ever lived, Solomon. He had achieved everything that he could achieve in that time. Everything. And yet he's pleading with us to not go down this road of competition and comparison. The comparison trap. It's a trap of the devil. It will steal your life. It will steal your joy. Solomon is saying, look at the screen. There's no substance or meaning to a life that is motivated by envy. Come on, if we want balance in our work life, listen, we must first have the right motivation to work. The right motivation to work. And that motivation is not envy. It's enjoyment. Oh, okay, I know, I know. Pastor, you don't know what I do. You don't know where I work. And before you jump away from me and, and, and throw tomatoes at me up here because of what I just said, but by enjoyment, listen, I don't mean that we're always happy with our work life, with the environment. I don't mean that we're head over heels about all of our coworkers or our boss or the assignments that we're given I don't mean that every day on our job is just bliss. <laughs> the nervous laughter. <laughs> what I mean and what I'm saying is that we, listen, we find fulfillment and meaning in doing a good job. Even if that work that you're doing seems unimportant at the time. Even if you're the lowest ranked person in the company, you're the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the totem pole. You're providing a service. And that job, somebody needs to hear me. This is life-giving what I'm about to say. That job that you're doing exists for a reason because in this economy, it's too expensive to pay you to do something that doesn't matter. Somebody, that's, that's good. Paul says in Colossians 3, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, if it's, if it's, if it's you know, 
putting things on shelves at Walmart, if it's teaching, if it's cleaning the bathrooms, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not your boss. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance, not from him or her, but from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. One of the, you know, one of the definitions for enjoyment, yes, I'm going back to that. I know you still don't agree with me. But one of the definitions in Webster's Dictionary, second definition, is keen satisfaction. Keen Sharp, strong satisfaction. When we view our work, whatever that work may be, when we view that as a way to serve Christ, it changes the whole game. It changes our whole perspective. And it gives us a healthy motivation. It gives us a healthy view of work and why we work, no matter what that work may be. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Four of you? Five. Hey, and students, teenagers, this goes for you as well. In your, in your studies, your schoolwork, even algebra. No, I can't do it. I tried, Lord. I retract that statement. Algebra is a curse from the devil. Only to be endured and never enjoyed. Anyway, I'll move on. That's a stumbling block in my own life that I have to still work on. My whole family was good at math. My kids are good at math. My wife is good at math. My sister has a math degree. And I could not pass college algebra. All right, counseling session over. It's all right. Look at the screen. To have balance in your work, you must begin with a biblical perspective. Write that down. To have balance in your work, you must begin with a biblical perspective. And by the way, money can't be the main motivator either. It's a good one. It's needed. Come on, that paycheck is important. Somebody say amen. In our society, we have to have money, but money is neutral. Money is just a tool. And we, when we ascribe more value than that money actually has, we get into trouble. Money is neutral. Money can be used for wonderful kingdom things and wonderful things in our life to take care of our family, to pay the bills, to go on a vacation. Those are wonderful and good things. But when it overwhelms us and all we think about is money, we get into trouble. It's like a weapon. It's like a gun. A gun is neutral. In the hand of somebody who knows how to use it and who's a good person and a, and, a, and a righteous person, it can be very, very helpful and useful. But in the wrong hand, it can be evil and cause destruction. It's neutral. Money is neutral. Listen to what uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5. Those who love money will never have enough. Those who love money. That's the key. How meaningless to think that wealth will bring true happiness. Now I could go through scripture after scripture in the New Testament with Jesus himself talking about, he talked more about money than anything else because he knows how important it is to us. But he said, look, money's fine, but you, you can't rule your heart. 
You can't serve God and serve money. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 4, our original text, verse 5. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. Fools fold their idle That means they're not working. That means they're not doing any work. And that leads them to ruin. We're still talking about the balance between work and rest. So on the other side of too much work is laziness. It's an offensive word, isn't it? What I'm about to say is not meant to be political. And y'all are like, oh, here we go. You guys, if you've been here, you know I don't preach politics. But when the government decided that they were going to pay people more to stay home and not work, it created a terrible domino effect. It's affected our economy right now and it's affected our supply chain. It's affected the inflation that we're experiencing right now. It's affected workers. I was at a, at a small business just this week and the owner of several of these chains was himself at the drive-through. Why? Because he could not find anybody to work. And listen, there's no judgment from me if, that's, if that was you and you took part in that. Look, who wouldn't? I'm just being real. But the problem is that messed with people's lives. The people who participated in the, the small business, all it messed with people's lives. It was a domino effect and it led to a work ethic that now we are reaping the, the, the bad side of it. It can't, this system is untenable. It's not sustainable. Because we have to work. If you want to eat. And it was this false thing that was thrown at us. I'll move on. Solomon's letting us know in no uncertain terms that if your life is out of balance in this direction and you don't have a work ethic and you, you're moving closer and closer to that offensive word, you're headed for a world of hurt. Young person who are still, and I'm going to make you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Sometimes the Bible does that. If you're still living at home and you're not going to college and you're an adult, it's time to get a job. It's time to do something. It's time to get an education. It's time to do something. On the other side of the coin, parents, stop enabling. Okay, okay, all right, all right. All right. You're not helping them at all. Y'all okay? <laughs> Jesus, help us. But then Solomon says something interesting in the next verse. He says, and yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work chasing the wind. This is, this is masterful. This image that he gives us, is it's, it sums up these verses so powerfully and beautifully. This visual of balance between work and rest. He's like, look, one handful of hard work and one handful of rest. That's the way to go. Don't be out of balance with it. 
What he's getting at, I think, or what I'm taking away from it, is the importance of Sabbath. The importance of balancing our work life, our study life, with proper rest in the presence of God. I don't have time to unpack all the things about Sabbath. I've preached about it before. You can go back and listen. Look at the screen. We were not created to work with, without proper rest. And true Sabbath includes worship. In other words, Sabbath is not just about your relaxation. Sabbath is not just about going to the lake or watching a game. Sabbath is not just about doing your favorite hobby. True rest True Sabbath includes a time in God's presence. True Sabbath includes worship. True Sabbath includes fellowship in the body of Christ. If you believe it, give him praise. Come on. So that idea leads us to our second point, balance between community and isolation. Balance between community and isolations by a show of hands. How many of you in the room are extra? I mean, extroverts. <laughs> Raise your hand. You're extrovert. That means you are energized by being around people. You're energized by being around people. Now, you can put your hands down. Raise your hand if you are an introvert. Wow. That means that it's not that you don't like people. And we're not talking about shyness. It's just that when you're around folks for a long time, it can be draining. Sometimes by nine o'clock in the morning, but we won't. <laughs> now I can talk about you because I am you. I joke about this all the time. It's God's cosmic humor that he would make me an introvert, a pastor. In my weakness, I am made, he is made strong, right? I, I cling to that verse all the time. I joke about this. I'm like, I love the ministry. It's just the people. That's the problem. <laughs> no. I want you to hear me. I do have to be careful with this personality trait. But I, God, the only way I can describe it, he has given me a supernatural love for you. I don't know how else to describe it is that he has taken my heart out and put a heart of a shepherd in. It's completely 100% him. That's how he is made strong in my weakness because it's all him and I know it. I know it, but I still have to be thoughtful and intentional around people. I do. I joke about it. I say, if I shake your hand, it's on purpose. I thought about it. I schemed. I thought about it, right? I'm never going to be a 10 out of 10 people person. Like Pastor JB, he's not in here. That's, that's him. And it's so great that I have someone as my second who is completely opposite from me. That's a good thing. I'll never be a 10 out of 10, but I can go from a three to a six if I work hard. Come on, somebody. And so can you. All you introverts. I encourage you today. But here, here's the key. The reason I can do that is because I need to acknowledge and receive what the Bible says about the importance of community and being with people. See, what, what I want to do in my flesh 
is be by myself. That's what I want to do. But that's not always what I need to do. And what your flesh wants you to do is definitely not always what you should do. And what your personality is driving you to be is not necessarily the right direction. Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, he says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Look at verse 12. A person, and this is so powerful, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Man, and then he's like, and three are even better than that. I've, to, I've told this story several times over the last several years, but I'm the pastor and I can tell it as many as I want to. But in 2007, I was on a mission trip to Africa for three weeks and the last two days we got to do safari, not shooting anything, just taking pictures. They don't do that anymore. So amazing, just amazing. You're out there in the plains and you see all the elephant and the, the giraffe and the, all the stuff. And we're out there and we see this herd of antelope, the big, the big spikes, you know, and they're out there and the, 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 the guide says, hey, look at that one. He's, he had wandered, one of them had wandered off by himself. I don't know on purpose or just because he, he got distracted. Oh, that'll preach. Yeah. And he said, look over there in the, gra the tall grass. And it was golden brown grass, so we couldn't see anything. And he said, just wait. I'm like, I don't see anything. Wait. And it suddenly started to move. And the Jaws music came on. Don't, don't, right? In my head anyway. And the grass started to move towards that lone antelope. And, you know, by the time he realized what was going on, it was too late, that lioness. Isn't that a picture of the devil, how he attacks? He doesn't come at us when we're in fellowship, but when we isolate ourselves. So this is why we have small groups. How'd you like that? Can't argue against that, can you? All you introverts, this point is a little bit heavily more towards you and me. This is why we have serve groups. All across this campus, every Sunday and Wednesday, you see groups of people serving on this campus in the music team with the kids in media, in the parking lot, greeters and ushers. You know, we have a, 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 a serve group for every personality under the sun. These people do life together. They're friends. They get to know one another. If you're not serving at the church, this is a great way to get to know someone and to get involved. Small groups right after the service, go down and find out which group you want to be a part of. This is why we have Wednesday nights to get together and to have fellowship. This is why we have be together events like last Sunday night where we eat together and we fellowship. I'm telling you right now, we cannot go through this life alone. It was never meant to be lived alone. Christianity, it's not about isolation. It's about community. It's about fellowship with the body of Christ. Give him praise. I don't care what personality you are. We need a community of faith. We need some people around us that know our name. This group is too big. 
I love it and we come to church and we, we love it and enjoy it. We worship together, but you need a group of people who know your name. And when life is coming at you and all hell is breaking loose in your life, you can call them, you can tell them, and you know that they will lift you up, that they will go to battle with you, that they will stand against the devil for you. You know they're praying for you because they know your name. And they've invested in your life. You need a place where you can be vulnerable and it's safe to share what's happening in your life. You gotta have a balance between community and isolation. And you extroverts, it's not gonna kill you to be alone with the Lord. <laughs> Need that too. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 23, the writer says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. How do we do that? How do we hold on to the hope that we profess in a world and a society that is every day garnering more and more hate towards us and our faith and what we believe. I can tell you right now, it's not by going at it alone. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. You can't do that unless you're with one another. <laughs> Toward love and good deeds, I love this, not giving up Meaning, meeting together. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the... Oh, say it again. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But one of the worst things that happened out of the pandemic was that folks got comfortable and in the habit of having church at home. And thank God that we had the technology and thank the Lord for those who were able to watch from other states and even other countries right now. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast going down the road. Thank God that you're listening to this message on a podcast, but a podcast is not the same as being in the house of the Lord with other believers. We need to come back to the house of God and make it a priority in our family. Community. And it says, and all the more, say all the more, as you see the day. That's capitalized on purpose because it's talking about the second coming of Jesus as you see the day approaching. Come on, we don't need to meet less as the day approaches, as time marches. We need to get creative about coming up with ways to meet more. Come on, Satan's not meeting less. <laughs> Satan's not backing off. Satan's not tapering it, it down and neither can we, neither can we really quiet. Hey, I get it. Life is busy. Families are busy. All the stuff, all the things. That's the, the little thing now, all the things, right? I'm going to have a series called all the things, <laughs> write a book, all the things. I know it's busy. Listen, I have a group that I meet with, with senior pastors of pastors in this area. Every two weeks, every two weeks, we meet together. And because of the way I'm wired, and I'm also not just an introvert, I am task-oriented, not people-oriented. I know God is, I don't know what he's up to. Anyway, anybody else task-oriented? You're thinking about the task 
of what you have to do that day. And so that's what I'm thinking. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, an hour and a half? I'm gonna lose an hour and a half? And I'm like, I don't have time for this meeting, but I have to be there because I'm the host. (laughs) That's one way to make your commitment, you know, is if you're in charge. (laughs) But you know what happens every time without fail? We get in there, we're enjoying each other, we're we're reading scripture, we're praying from one another, we're sharing, we're laughing. And by the end of that hour and a half, I have been uplifted, I have been sharpened, I have been encouraged, and I am thankful. Every single, you'd think I'd learn. We must have balance between our time in community and our time alone. My final point, number three, balance in our thinking. Balance in our thinking. Now I'm gonna be a lot faster with this point, so don't panic, but there's so much that we could talk about concerning our mind and our thinking. It's all through scripture, but we're gonna, for time's sake, we're gonna stick with Solomon. And he has something to say in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. It's interesting. He says, a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. He's like, Pastor, you're gonna end on that? That's dark. He says a wise, how many want to be a wise person? He says a wise person thinks, not a little, a lot. But a fool thinks only about the moment and having a good time. It sounds dark, but it doesn't have to be. Thinking about death does not have to be a downer. It can actually be uplifting. Look at the screen. Thinking about death doesn't have to be morbid because we have the certainty of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance, the song says. So many people refuse. I mean, flat out refuse to go there. They're like, don't talk to me about that. That's depressing. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it. Some people do everything they can to avoid a funeral at all costs because it makes them, it causes them to consider their own mortality and to think about death and they avoid. I met a young lady, an adult young lady who had never been to a funeral, not one. Not thinking about it, putting it off doesn't change anything. If Jesus does not, if Jesus tarries his coming, if he does not come in our lifetime, we are all going to face that moment of physical death when we lay this body down. Solomon is not encouraging us to think morbidly. He's encouraging us to think clearly about the future. And part of that future is the reality of death. Jesus talked to his disciples all the time about it, even his own death. He described it over and over again and they did not like it one bit. Jesus, or Peter even rebuked the Lord for talking about it. But bringing balance to our thinking in terms of our death, mortality is important because it forces us to get out of the present. 
and think about the future and think about the direction that we are going. And that is healthy. That's a healthy balance. Most importantly, though, if we think about that in the future, in our mortality, it gives us time to get right with God. It gives us time to confess our sins and be forgiven before it's too late. If you haven't thought about that in a while, I challenge you to do it right now today. If Jesus, like I said, if he doesn't come back, we're all going to face death. And then scripture says what comes after the judgment. That's fun. That's scary too, but it doesn't have to be. Now, if I am relying on my own merit for salvation, that is scary. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all, every single one of us, fallen short of God's glory, fallen short. But if I have put my trust in Jesus, if I have put my faith in his work and his sacrifice on the cross, if I have trusted his blood over my sin in my life, then I don't have anything to be afraid of and neither do you. And on that day, we can rejoice because we know that after the judgment, we will be with him forever. Give him praise. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news. Your debt has been paid in full. Every sin, past, present, or future, forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? That's mercy. That's mercy. So doesn't it, I'm done, listen, doesn't it make sense to think, there's our word, to think about that moment now and experience God's mercy now instead of experiencing his justice then. Amen? We need balance in our work, our rest, our community, our time alone. And we need balance in how we think. It's not all about the here and now. We have to be thinking about the future. Would you bow your heads, please? If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.